maybe not. Anyway, but not only that, <laughs> um, the scripture says to um, make sure that they were well versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and were suited to serve in the royal palace. Um, they were to train these young men in the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Question for you, how in the world could these young men stay true to their faith in the midst of uh, the indulgences that were given to them in the most wealthy, hedonistic place on the planet? I mean, was it too much to expect them to stay strong in this culture? Um, imagine if you would, the circumstance, and it's hard for us to do it, with these young men that all that they knew, all that they were accustomed to, their entire lives were completely turned upside down, and they find themselves in this place called Babylon. Maybe they had heard about it, and they knew that there was nothing that was good in Babylon, and, and yet that's where they find themselves. And, and, and I, mean, I mean, after all, is, 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 they're just teenagers. They were literally young men, 15, 16, 17 years old. And, and, and how could we expect them, having lost everything that they've known and being tossed into this society and, been, and given everything that the world has to offer, how can we expect them to remain true to God? And let me just say, not only did they stand strong in Babylon, they flourished there. Not only did they stand strong, they, they flourished there. Uh, now listen, I know that there are a lot of young people that think, well, you know, it's really hard to be a Christian today. And, and granted, you know, with, with the media and the things that, are, uh, that assault you, billboards, um, the culture, you know, everybody's doing it. And, and, you know, nobody at my school is a Christian and I'm the only one. And, and yet I look at these young men and I look at how God took them and took everything... From them, the only thing they had were each other and their relationship with God. And that relationship was going to be severely tested. So, when the world throws everything it has at you, you will either wilt under the pressure and cave in and go status quo like everybody else, uh, or you'll stand strong no matter what comes your way. doesn't matter what comes your way. You'll stand strong in it. And the difference is whether at the very core of who you are, the very, uh, uh, I'm not sure how to say it, the, 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 the very, the deepest part of you, the difference will be that if in the deepest part of you, your biblical values are not just beliefs that, but convictions. See, there's one thing to, to believe. Uh, there are multitudes of people who believe in God. And they maybe wouldn't even disrespect God. I was talking to a young man last week. And, uh, and, and he, was, uh, he was, you know, we're talking about his relationship with God. He's, he's not in fellowship. He doesn't go to church. He probably uh, never reads his Bible. There's nothing on the outside that would indicate that he has a relationship with God. Nothing at all. And I said, listen, man, God's not after your money. He's not after your talent. He's not after the, your, your church attendance. What he wants is your heart. And he said, he's got that. He's always had that. And I just thought to myself, brother, if God has your heart, why is there no outward indication that he does have your heart? I tell you what, husband, if, you, uh, uh, if you're, 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 there had better be some outward display of your love. For, do you love your wife? That ought to be obvious to everyone. 
If it isn't, if people are saying to you, you're married, we didn't know that. There's a problem there, okay? No, no, my wife has my heart. Funny, she doesn't think so. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not judging this, brother. Not at all. But, but, there, but, but if, do you just believe in God or is it a conviction? Because you know what? Nobody can talk you out of a conviction. Nobody can, you know, you're, no, there's not some philosophy or something you're going to hear or some worldview that all of a sudden is going to make you think, well, maybe D Jesus didn't die on the cross. Listen, I'm convinced of this. Okay, it's more than just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. And when the two come together and God places his spirit in it, you believe it. And, and, and it's a conviction. And, and you know what? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, not even with the king's food. That was a conviction. Last week we said that inner convictions can overcome outer pressure. Inner convictions can overcome outer. Oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult to be a Christian. It's so hard at my school. Are you convinced that Jesus died for your sins? Do you have a relationship with him that will overcome outer pressure? It will. It will. God-honoring convictions also yield God-given rewards. They, after they stood strong, God gave them knowledge, influence, and Daniel understood visions and dreams. They were ten times better than the priests and the magicians and encanters of Babylon. These young men distinguished themselves in Babylon. And the king says, you guys, are way, you guys are way better than any of my guys. And they're teenagers. They're young men. And the culture of the day would say that they should just go with the flow and when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. And, you know, everyone else is doing it anyway. They said no. And you know what? It turns out they were better off going God's way. Let me just get a show of hands. How many mature people in the house? That's a nice way of saying it. How many mature people in the house wish that when you were maybe a little younger, you would have done it God's way? Anybody at all? Oh, look at all the hands. God's moving. I see the hands. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Turns out they were better off doing it God's way, and it's the same today. Another thing is, listen. The Lord allowed them to go to Babylon. He's the one who was writing the script. You know why? Because among other reasons, he knew that he could trust them in this trial. God knew that he could trust them in this trial. He knew that they would stand up. They didn't know that, but he knew that they would stand up. Someone needed to go to Babylon and light it up. That's an old expression we used to say in the sports room when we had a really good game. And someone would say, how'd it go last week? And go, man, we lit it up. <laughs> someone had to go and be a light. Someone had to go and preach the good news of, of the one true God. And God chose them to do it. You know what? When God needed someone to go to a pagan foreign land and, and, and live the life of of God amongst the people who did not know anything about God, he picked four teenagers. <laughs> See, young, some people say, well, you know, our young people are the church for tomorrow. You know what I say? I say, no, our young people are the church for today. Thank you for that spontaneous applause over there. All those young people sitting to your left. Amen. I wanted to see some young people, a little, little something, but that's all right. Young people are like, what? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Listen, sometimes the Lord sends us to other nations for his glory. Sometimes he sends the nations to us for his glory. 
I spoke to an Egyptian man who's a born-again believer in Jesus yesterday, and, and, and we were talking about ministry to Muslims, and he says, and I was telling him, yeah, they're building a mosque less than two miles from our house, from our church right here. Less than two miles. He goes, that's great. He goes, I think they should build as many mosques as they want to build. And I thought, well, that's a strange thing to say. And he said, listen, when they build a mosque, we know where they are. So we go to the mosque and we minister and we just share the love of Jesus with us. Oh, if they're not in the mosque, they're at the workplace. They're here. You don't know where they are. Friday during prayer, there they are. It's, it's a captive audience. I th never quite thought of it that way. It's a good way to look at it. But you know what? He sends the nations to us for his glory. Remember the movie Amistad? You remember in the end? When, when all the slaves had finally won their freedom and they're headed back to Africa and the one leader's at the, at the front of the boat and he's just kind of, you know, boom like this. That's not what happened. See, many of them actually got touched by, by missionaries, uh, local missionaries and by seminaries, and many of them um, uh, uh, learned the truth uh, the truths and, uh, of the gospel and God's word and they went back to Africa as missionaries. So it turns out Steven Spielberg didn't get it right in the end. He didn't quite show that part. But that's what happened. God sent them here as slaves. They went back as free men and women. And they went back and they shared the gospel in their nation. Hey, either way, though, we should be going, right? Whether God sends us to another land or whether God sends someone to us, we should be going, whether it's across the street, two miles down the road, or to another nation. Either way, we should be going and supporting those who do go. Another thing that I was thinking about is that, you know, the Lord was behind the scenes the whole way, uh, orchestrating every little detail, supernaturally opening and closing doors. And even at times when we do not recognize it and we don't think God's anywhere around, I think some, he's still behind the scenes opening and closing doors. Now, Babylon was seeped in the occult and animistic and idolatry practices of all the places to go. I mean, it's one thing if the Lord would have sent them to some place where it's maybe not all that strange, the religious. He takes these young boys and places them in a nation that was full of God, small G-O-D-S, full of idolatry and a fascination with the occult. They had people who were on staff in the king's palace who were seeped in that stuff and were supposed to tell him dreams and what the stars were saying. Astrology. You know, it's not much different than, from, than what it is today, is it? There's a fascination with the occult. There's a fascination with the supernatural. People want to hear a word from somebody or something, and they'll pay great money and go to great lengths and travel great distances to hear something from somebody because people want to hear a word from someone supernatural. If it's a dead relative or some, some, the sun or the planets, you know, there's the alignment of the stars, then maybe I'll get married this year, whatever it is. People want to hear supernatural things, but, you know, they always have. But today, it's much more subtle than it once was. No, it's out in the open. Uh, Katy Perry <coughs> has a new album, CD, called Prism. Here's a few words. I got this from Plugged In Magazine, PluggedInMag.com. Parents, this is a place to go when your young person says, I want to buy this new CD. You go, hold on just a minute. Load, download the app and look at it and go, ain't no way you're buying this CD. 
No way. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Download. Nobody buys CDs anymore. You know what I mean. Here's what she says. Legendary Lovers is the song, and it blends, according to the magazine, suggestive sexuality with Eastern spirituality. Imagine that. Millions and millions of young people listening to this music going, yeah, I feel my lotus bloom come closer. Katie croons to a paramour. I don't know how to pronounce that word, paramour. paramour. I want your energy. I want your aura. You are my destiny, my mantra. I never knew I could see something so clearly looking through my third eye. I'm like, honey, do you even know what that means? Never knew karma could be so rewarding and bring me to life, to your life. And then the magazine says, to get to the good stuff, we have to wade through Katie's carnal surrender to various lovers, lavish lyrical praise of Hindu spirituality, and effervescent infatuation with astrology. Oh. Tell you what, she is, she's, when it comes to record sales, download, she's, she's on the level of Michael Jackson with the things that she has sold. That's, that's how popular she is. I'm not judging. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not casting a stone. I'm just saying that's pop culture. Joseph Farah, the writer for World News Today, said ever since the 1960s, this rebellion has been growing. It's kind of the spiritual side of the political and social rebellion that took place in the latter part of that decade. Yet this spiritual rebellion has continued unabated since then and has grown exponentially faster and darker with each succeeding de decade. And I agree with that. Because in the 1960s, America opened up their minds. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And with that came Eastern philosophy. And a lot of those kids that were protesting and were channeling and were, and were going uh, to, to, uh, uh, to India and to the Himalayas to open up their mind and have some kind of religious experience, many of them are college professors today. Hal Lindsey said this, the Columbine High School massacre was committed by two teenagers who were heavily involved in occultic practices and Satan worship. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebo professed faith in Satan and Nazism and were not taken seriously, that is, until after their killing spree. Hal Lindsey went on to say this, Satan never wanted a world that did not believe in the supernatural. Isn't that true? He doesn't care if you believe in the supernatural as long as you don't believe in the one true God. He already knows that God's placed something within every human being that yearns from something that's above. And if, if for him, if it's the sun or the moon or the stars or dead relatives or reincarnation or whatever, you want, he's fine with that. He wants a religious world that will believe in him. And for this, he will supply all kinds of supernatural experiences to lure in those who reject God's truth. That's true. Mark 13, 22, Jesus says, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. Jesus is saying, there's a time coming where you're going to see some supernatural things. And there'll be many people will be deceived by these things and they will believe in these things. But there'll be false miracles and false signs, but they'll be true in the fact that they happened. Satan is powerful. He's able to do all kinds of things. You wait till things start shaking up a little bit and people are going to be like, well, man, I was right there. I saw this thing happen. Doesn't mean it's from God. Doesn't mean it's from God. 
Ancient people, no doubt, had little trouble believing that God communicated to them through dreams and visions. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, and certainly God's people, the Hebrews, relied on messages through dreams and visions from the Lord. And so often the Lord uses a phenomena like that that is already uh, embedded in a culture to reach that culture. So you have a society that believes in dreams and visions and God shows up sometimes and, and brings dreams and visions. Hey, there, there are multitudes and multitudes of people in the Middle East and so-called closed nations that are having visions and dreams of Jesus Christ and they're coming to know the one true Messiah through it. See, their hearts are already open to that anyway. God reserves the right to use that. And so the Lord is going to visit Nebuchadnezzar in a dream. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 6 says... Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to tell the, uh, the king his dreams. Uh, so they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And by the way, uh, uh, this, this, this book shifts uh, to Aramaic, uh, the, the, la- the language of the day from here to chapter 7, verse 28. And it says, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, uh, 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 The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation... You will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Okay, now that's a bad day at the office, right? You go home, and and your wife says, hey, how'd it go today? And and you're not good, not good. Uh, We've got to interpret the king's dream, and if we don't, we're going to get torn from limb to limb. And so is my whole house. Oh, that's a bad day, okay? Okay, but if if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts, and a reward and honor, therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Okay, so the Lord speaks to him in a dream. Sometimes he speaks to holy people, sometimes not so much holy people. But Abimelech in Genesis receives a dream. Laban receives a dream. Balaam in the book of Numbers receives a a vision or a dream from the Lord. We're doing a study on Wednesday night. Genesis and God's already spoken to Abraham in a dream. He's spoken to Jacob in a dream. And remember, there's a time coming when there's going to be some wise men who will come from the east to go visit Jesus. And they'll be told in a vision or a dream not to go back the way that they came. It's always a good idea to test any dream or vision that someone has for you against the word of God. Someone comes to you and says, you know, I had a vision about you and you know, I had a dream about you last night. And you go, okay, well, let me hear it. Well, you, God, maybe God's speaking here. And, 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 and that dream or vision should line up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, you can categorically reject that and say, I am so sorry you have that vision. I don't receive that. Young lady, someone comes up to you and says, you know what? I had a dream and a vision about you. God told me we're supposed to be together. You'd be like, oh, listen, um, Time out, young fella. Here's what we'll do. As soon as God shows me that vision and that dream, I'll get back in touch with you. But until then, stay away from me, all right? Don't be trying to come up and praise the Lord next to me. I'm not hearing it. Maybe we could pray sometime. No, get away from me. 
you dreamer. <laughs> God loves you, and I have a plan for your life. Oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> Does it match up against the word of the Lord? And if it passes that test, then you know what? You take that dream or you take that vision that someone else may have had for you or maybe you have for yourself and you store it away and you let God bring it to pass. You let God bring it to pass. And in case you forget about it, the Holy Spirit will remind you. Remember that dream? Remember that vision? Yeah, this is me. And you go, that's right, Lord. That's right. Don't get all caught up if somebody has some word for you or some dream. For you. you receive it, but you match it up against the word of the Lord. Amen? There's a lot of foolishness out there regarding dreams and visions and words from the Lord. You test it against the Scripture, and then you file it away. Verse 7 says, They answered a second time and said, to the, uh, uh, and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you're bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command is from, from me is firm. That if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. In verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great, no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldeans. You can see what they're saying. Uh, oh, king, what you're asking is, no one's ever asked. This is impossible. You, you know, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king says, no, you tell me the dream. And they're like, no, that's not how we get paid, see. We get, you tell us the dream, we conjure something up that sounds cool, and we tell you. It's not how it works. You're kicking it up a whole nother level here, king. We're not prepared for this kind of, uh, 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 you know. I mean, things are changing in Babylon. They're looking at one another going, man, we're done, man. We're done. That's it. This gig is over. <laughs> right? Moreover, the king, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there's no one else except, uh, uh, there's no one else except gods who, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. That's, you know what? Kill them all. Had enough of these wise men. They're not all that wise anyway. Every one of them. And you know, King Nebuchadnezzar was like that. I mean, he, would just, he was brutal. And I'm not going to tell you how they would tear people from limb to limb. I'm not going to spare you how they did that. It was like... Okay, I'm like really concerned about the guys that would set that up, you know? Like, what do you do for a living? I'm an executioner. Okay, we're moving out of the neighborhood, honey. <laughs> My goodness, it was brutal. This man was brutal. Listen, these, these soothsayers, these crystal ball readers, these astrologers, you know what? They're copies of the original. And listen, there's always a limit to what they can predict or foretell or conjure up and that is the way God allows these things to happen and 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 Satan has power but there's always a limit they came to uh, Satan comes to the Lord regarding Job 
And the Lord says, here's how far you go. That's it. You don't go any further than this. And there's no discussion. There's no debate. It's like, all right. Uh, uh, and if you remember in the book of Exodus, uh, Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate one of Moses' miracles and two of the plagues. You remember what happened. Moses shows up and says, let my people go. They're like, it ain't happening. That's our workforce, man. We ain't letting nobody go. He throws down his staff and it becomes a serpent. And the magicians say, is that all you got? And they take their staffs and they throw them down. And their staffs become snakes. The only problem is Moses' staff ate up their staff, their, their snakes. Ate them up. Ate them right up. And Moses backed away and said, how you like me now? Right? That's probably what I would have said. That's why I would never go set people free, right? Because I'd be all like, yeah. And those magicians were going, that was a good staff, too. Never getting that one back. Come see me Tuesday. I might sell you one cheap. They were able to duplicate up to the gnats. Third plague. And the magicians were like, all right, all right. We got the frogs, and we can even turn parts of the Nile to blood. We can't do gnats. <laughs> we can't do that. Go, because there's a limit. They go so far. They're dime store phonies. They can't do what God can do, and only God can do it. Listen, no horoscope, no medium, no fortune teller can do what only God can do. Do they have power? Yes. You can go pay someone to tell you about your dead relatives, and sometimes they can be remarkably accurate. And you think, and how does that, how did they know about my father or this or that? That's because this is public knowledge in the demonic realm. And for them to speak into someone that maybe they've, they've possessed to say, this is a, their father, this is that. And they speak things that, that you think, how did they know that? But that's not going to bring you any closer to the Lord. And that's going to bring you salvation. That's going to just tickle your ear and make you think that grandma's in a nice place. And that grandma says, you need to do this, this, and this. And people are going to these people in droves because they want to hear something from someone that's supernatural. So the Lord speaks, but there's a limit to what these men can understand. Plus, note their confession, only the gods know the answer. To which I think, don't your gods know the answer? I mean, if your gods are like all that, shouldn't they be able to tell you? Well, that conversation didn't come up. And they say, whose dwelling is not with mortal flesh. You know, one of the names for the Lord Jesus is Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. So it's, it turns out that God's dwelling is with mortal flesh. In fact, his dwelling is within us. Ah. Verse 14 through 16 says this. Then Daniel replied, uh, verse, verse 13, so the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Okay, this is, a, this is a desperate situation. This is as bad as it gets, all right? And Daniel and his friends have no idea what this knock on the door will hold. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment. Okay, he wasn't all belligerent and like, well, your gods ain't gods anyway. He was, he was humble he exercised discernment and wisdom in this. He wasn't a rebellious against where he was. He had settled in, and he answers discreetly. 
He answers to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. So it's in process. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree of the king so urgent? Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. It says, So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king to the king time out stop wait a minute don't miss the jump between verse 15 when he asked arioch a question to verse 16 where he's standing before the king don't miss that the decree has been made they're already killing these men they show up to daniel's place and and he and he simply asked a question okay th this is this is a crisis situation. Someone said, crisis doesn't make the man, it reveals the man. He had an order uh, from the king to kill Daniel and his friends, and, and, and there's a transition where he asked the, the, the executioner for an audience with the king, and he gives it to him. So he shows up with a man that should be dead, and Nebuchadnezzar sees Daniel in his court and and he's not thinking what is he doing here I told you to kill he doesn't think that uh, he's willing to see him so you know Daniel asked for an audience with the king and he gets it oh God's behind the scenes opening and closing doors this is nothing but the handiwork of God I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar had a great respect for these young men because he knew that there was something in them that was true he said, you know, all of you guys are a bunch of losers, okay? You make it as you go. In fact, you're all fired. In fact, you're all going to die. But I think there was something about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, the king said, there's something about those boys that's not like, unlike anybody else in here. Yeah, they distinguished themselves because of their holy life in a, before an a, a, a ungodly king in a pagan society. How much more do we need young people who would distinguish themselves? Who will stand up and say, I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what everybody's doing. This is because everybody, don't me, I got nothing to do with me. Oh, the peer pressure, it's so bad. It's not that bad. If you have a conviction in your, stand up tall for Jesus. No matter what anybody says to you. No matter where culture goes. Doesn't matter what MTV, mucus television says. How are you going to let a bunch of producers in New York tell you how you ought to live your life? They probably ain't even got children. Why, I'm yelling, aren't I? I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to shout at you. Who's going to control your life? God? Or Hollywood. I don't know, but somebody just got a call. <laughs> Is it you, Lord? <laughs> somebody about to have a dream up here. Yeah, I don't know. Wow. I couldn't believe it. Right in the middle of this high point, my phone goes off. It's all right. It's all right. We all do it. It's all right. Ah. <sighs> God is in control. Let me ask you another question. How did Daniel know that God would give him the answer? Hmm? 
went and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare, listen, king, give me some time. Just before you chop my head off or whatever you're going to do, give me a little time. And I'll come back to you with the interpreter. Oh, how did he know that? Is he testing God? Is he being presumptuous? Boy, has God told you he would give you the dream? No, but I got no other option here. I'm going to die anyway, whether they kill me now or I try to involve God in this, like, somehow. He has faith. He's been shut in with God. And maybe he's thinking, Lord, you've always been faithful. Lord, you've never let me down. God, you would bring me from Judah all the way to Babylon to have me executed here like this. There has to be more, God. And I'm trusting in you that you got something more in this trial and this challenge and this difficulty that I don't even know about. And he's having faith that God's going to do something. Verse 17 and 18, Daniel went to his house and informed his friends. Everybody say, informed his friends. Oh, you better get around some godly people. <laughs> when the king says, tell me the interpretation of the dream or die, you better have some godly friends you can call. You better have some other people. You can say, listen, this is serious business right here. No, no, we're all about to die. You know what? We need to, we need to get together. He goes to his house and informs his friends about the matter. And this is what's going on. In order why that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel's and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Oh, oh, he's... He's 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 connected with these, you know, praise, you know, praise the Lord that he didn't send this young boy all alone. He sent some other people with him and they were the only ones that were standing up. And it speaks about the necessity for fellowship and togetherness and unity and being linked arm in arm. Uh, It's it's necessary. Hey, listen, if God doesn't show up, they're gone. No one knew the answer to the dream, not even Daniel. He wasn't boastful and presumptuous. Well, I know the answer. He didn't know the answer. Neither did his friends. Someone once said, when you get to the end of yourself, you get to the beginning of God. God's not idle. Sometimes he puts us in situations where he's the only one with the answer. No one else can help us. Oh, we want it. We, you know, we want help. We want to go to other people. We want to say, man, what do you think? Well, what do you think? What should I do? And sometimes God's like, you know what? You're not going to find the answer on TV. You're not going to find it in a book someplace. It's going to have to come from me. That's the only only place. No one else can help them. And the clock is ticking. Tick, 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 tick. They don't even know how much time they have. Listen, we need an answer, God. And Lord, if you don't answer us, then we're done. And the rest of the book of Daniel is not going to be written. (laughs) They didn't even know they were in the midst of that. Hey, God is not idle. But when that happens, resist the urge to do something. Well, we better do something. No, no. Resist the urge to do something and pray. But don't just pray. Pray with others who are like-minded. And don't rush to a logical conclusion. Well, listen, I think, why don't we just tell, let's put up a big sheet of paper and let's just tell the king, let's work on this and we'll, we'll figure something out. You know, we're telling, oh, here's, here's, let's try this and maybe this was his dream. Listen, it would have been worse off if they tried to figure out the dream and then showed up in front of Nebuchadnezzar. Because he would have said, you guys are a bunch of losers too. That's not my dream. (laughs) Get out of here. 
How embarrassing. I kind of thought you guys might know the answer. Like, because you seem to be different. Turns out you're no different than the rest of these. Have I said losers enough this morning? Gosh, those guys. Hey, listen, the battle, the battle was, was won when Daniel prayed with his friends. The battle was won when Daniel prayed with his friends. Let me back it up and say the battle was won when Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat the king's food. Let me back it up from there and say the battle was won when Daniel and his friends distinguished themselves in Judah. When everything was good and they were studying and they were pursuing the heart of God. Way back then the battle was already won. They just didn't know that this was going to be when it would be manifested. They prepared themselves for this time. God prepared them for this time. And it's already a done deal. Barnes says, it's a privilege to have praying friends. Strauss said, in prayer meetings such as this, history has been made. And these boys are about to make history. They're teenagers. Please take notice that Daniel didn't try to figure it out. But the answer was revealed to him. See, we didn't figure out salvation. It's not like I came to the conclusion, let's see, I die, I'll go to hell for all eternity. I need Jesus. That's what I need. That's what, no, I figured it out. Yeah, I figured it out. No, listen, I wasn't concerned about hell. <laughs> I wasn't. I mean, I mean, I'm like, oh, hell, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But what happened one day is rather than responding to the threat of hell, I responded to the revelation of who Christ was. And I thought, Lord, I've committed cosmic treason against you. God, I've, I've, I've trashed your name more than I even know. Lord, you came and you died and you rose again for me. Forget about those really holy spiritual people like Billy Graham and all them. No, it was for me too. And the Holy Spirit opened my eyes. It was a revel. Oh, no, you don't figure out salvation. The Holy Spirit reveals it. You go, wow. Okay, God, now I get it. Yeah, that's what happened here. These boys had, had, you know, if God doesn't speak, they got nothing. They got nothing. Also, notice he didn't run off to the palace and bang on the door of the king in the middle of the night. Look at what happened. It says in verse 19, Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Did you notice that? He shut in with his friends, and they asked God, to do something, to go, go, God, give us this so that they wouldn't be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. <clears throat> and the mystery was revealed to Daniel. And I, can you say hallelujah? Oh, come on. God has just spoken to us. You know, if we didn't get this, Lord, you know what? We're all going to die. No, God speaks. And they get it. They have the dream and they have the, nobody else in the land knows it but them. And he doesn't run off at three in the morning. King, king, we got it. Go get King Nebuchadnezzar right now in case some crazy executioner shows up at our house at like at 2 in the morning. We have it. And also note it was a night it was a night vision. I believe that that means it was night. It was late. I believe like no ESPN, no Facebook. We don't care about the news. We need an answer from you. This is desperate. Got all hands on deck. And they got it. Oh, <laughs> they got it. God speaks. And they don't run off to the king and tell him. What do they do? They praise and worship. They take the time to thank the Lord. 
I mean, do we do that? Listen to what they say. Daniel answered and said to him, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who channels, who, I'm sorry, who changes the, the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise men, knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the, and it, the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. Thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Praise the Lord. Let the name of God be blessed forever. He, wisdom and power belong to him. And they say, you know, you change the times, Lord, and the epochs. You remove kings and establish kings. You give wisdom. You reveal the profound. You know what's done in darkness. You have given to us. It's all focused upward. Then, God, at the end of it, thank you, by the way, for what you just did for us, too. <laughs> but it's all about you, Lord. It's not even about Daniel. It's about God working through Daniel. It's amazing. It's amazing. Ah. Verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man. Notice, look at him. He's all like, uh, I, king, have found him. You didn't find nothing, man. You trying to take credit for finding him? That was God. You don't even know it. Yeah. Oh, king, I found someone. No, you didn't. Get out of the way. <laughs> Go over there with all the other ones. <laughs> I found a man among the exiles of Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, listen to this, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. But he says, there is a, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. It's not about me, king. Are you able? He deflects. Listen, O king, it's not about me. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. And the king's like, <gasps> we'll get into the dream next week. Just a little something to make you come back. Feel free to read ahead. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah, evil has always been around. And it's always been hard for the people of God. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow path. It's going to continue to get narrower. It will. But that doesn't stop God. It doesn't stop the... Uh, you know, that we call closed nations, no such thing as a closed nation. 
Let me conclude with four things. Impossible situations are the platform for God's miracles. Impossible situations are the platform for God's miracles. Secondly, we never know when we'll enter into one of those situations, so be prayed up in advance. You want to know how to prepare for an impossible situation? Get prayed up in advance. Are you, are you not in an impossible situation right now? Pray. Because there may be one around the corner. <clears throat> Thirdly, our most effective response to those situations is to pray and wait. Pray and wait. And fourthly, be quick to give praise and thanks. Notice something. Daniel receives the revelation from God and he thanks the Lord and he praises the Lord. Wait a minute, Daniel. Before you get all hyped up and have a little Holy Ghost party here, hold on. We need to make sure we need confirmation first from the king. Before you start telling everybody you have the interpretation, you know what? We need to talk to the king. No, 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 no. Someone said your level of mature, spiritual maturity can be measured from the time that you ask and you actually receive. And in that time frame, when you begin to praise the Lord. Daniel receives it, doesn't have confirmation, and he begins to honor God and give glory to God and thank the Lord. Yeah. I think that's a really good thing. That's a, that's a, that's a good word for us today. It's a good word. It, it really is. You know what? Um, let's all stand. Let's all stand. And I want to um, pray. Um, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Paul the Apostle said, remember my chains. Daniel is a book about not political prisoners, but religious prisoners. They are prisoners because, first and foremost, God sent them to where they are. But secondly, because of a, a, a war that was religious in nature, that was inspired by God to discipline his people. Okay? Um, there are nations and places and people all over this world that are suffering for the gospel sake. We have it easy in America. We talk about persecutions, persecutions coming, persecutions coming, and it is. And we get persecuted in different kinds of ways, but it's nothing like Daniel.